0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Last week, as Pastor Hurley was introducing his message, he said, this morning we're going to talk about how to worship God. And I was sitting in the back saying, no, that's my message next week. <laughs> and, of course, when Pastor Hurley preaches, he covers it all. And I'm like, well at least he didn't use my text verse. And then during the invitation, he used my text verse. But it was too late to turn around then. I've been working on this for quite a while. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, this morning, to turn with me to the Gospel of John. The title of the message this morning is True Worshippers Must Worship in Spirit and in Truth. And... Um, Great reading of the scripture this morning. Thank you. I had asked for those verses. Uh, If you followed along, uh, isn't it a great biblical explanation of how foolish idols are? You take a tree, you can make a fire and warm yourself. You can bake a loaf of bread and, oh, by the way, I'll make a god out of this. And then I'll fall and worship it. True worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. We'll get to the text um, eventually. On April 5th of this year, if you've been reading through the chronological reading of the Bible, you would have read, along with me and others, 2 Samuel 5.21. And there they left their images, and David and his men burned them. Last September, and this next coming month, we'll read 1 Chronicles 14.12, which covers the same account. Except it says there, and when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. A couple of the commentators point out where we see the word gods there. It specifically refers to what they call house deities. So we're not talking about the great statues and the temples, we're talking about what we keep in our home. I had uh, two thoughts as I read in April, 2 Samuel 5, 21. First of all, how sad that someone could leave their God somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. And if you're a man, I'm sure you experience the same things on a daily basis. Honey, where's my phone? Honey, where are my keys? Uh, This morning I couldn't have gotten here, except I said, honey, where's my belt? And as we're walking out the door, I says, Linda, where are my shoes? But what a terrible thing to be ready to leave the house and say, Honey, where's my God? But for our understanding, where's my little house deity? Where's that something in my house that I shouldn't have in the first place? I mean, it could be something that you have built yourself, and it doesn't have to be something like an idol, but it's something that has become an idol. It has become more important to you than God, though you would never say those words. It gets far more time than he does. Constantly becomes, comes between you and him. And it is so important to you that to lose it would be a, a terrible thing. But it can be something of a religious nature. It can be something from your past life before you were saved. It can be something grandma gave you your dad gave you. Our faith teaches us, and Jesus teaches us in John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. If if I thought I was holding God in my hand, I would be in big trouble. But the word of God teaches me that he is holding me in his hand. And I am safe through Jesus Christ. Religion never taught me that, but salvation taught me that. The second thought I had was how sad that somebody could burn your God. It's always fun to read of the account of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Because Elijah knew exactly who he was serving and knew his power, and yet the prophets of Baal are crying and screaming out. And they're not getting Baal's attention, obviously, because he doesn't exist but they're still crying out. So they start cutting themselves to try to get his attention. And Elijah, I've got to believe he's Baptist, and he starts making a mockery of these prophets, and he says, well, cry aloud, for he is a God. Uh, Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. Folks, we have a God that is omnipotent that is omniscient we never have to wake him we never even have to wonder is he hearing my prayer he may not answer it the way we want he may not answer it as quick as we want but we know he is hearing that's the God Elijah served and when he watches other people that worship these false gods he can make a mockery of them and so in that first Chronicles fourteen twelve, when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment and they were burned with fire. Well, why would he why would David command that? It's because David understood the God that he served. And so we 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 love this portion of scripture that says that David was a man after God's own heart. And of course, we sometimes drift to the errors of David, but he, he is a man, amen but he was still a man after God's own heart, and he knew who God was. In Deuteronomy 4 and 24, the Bible says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. In Exodus 34 and 14, it's made even clearer. For thou shalt worship no other God, little g, for the Lord whose name is, anybody know what it is? Jealous. Isn't that amazing? For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. When we hear that someone's going to teach on the names of God, we get so excited, don't we? Oh, Jehovah Jireh. We we write songs about it. Jehovah Nisi. We're excited about it. But what about the week we teach on Jehovah Jealous? And, and we're told by commentators, Koch in particular says, that this word jealous specifically is referring to a jealous husband. Well, doesn't that fit? Because we are his bride. And so we, we, I can understand a jealous husband, but we have a little more trouble understanding a jealous God. Because he wants all of our attention. He wants our all in all. And he doesn't want us distracted by these house deities. He wants us to come to him for everything. John Gill reminds us about this portion of scripture. He says, God's names and his nature always answer to one another. So if he is Jehovah Jireh, then his nature is Jehovah Jireh. But if he is Jehovah jealous, his nature is, I am Jehovah jealous. He is jealous of you and I. He, because he has a love far beyond what you and I can understand of what real love is. And Paul understood this in 2 Corinthians 11 and 2. Paul says, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You ever think, what would happen if you treated your spouse the way that you treat our God? I mean, are there days that you don't pray? Are there days that you would not speak to your spouse? Are there days that you don't read the word of God? Are there days that you would not listen to a word your spouse has to say? That's why God makes our understanding at this level. If you're married, you understand marriage. If you're not married, you have watched other marriages, and you see their weaknesses, and you see their strengths. And God says, look at that, because I want you to understand my relationship with you. I love you in Christ through salvation we are married and I am jealous of you and that jealousy that's it's who I am and that is my name and so with with that understanding and with the understanding of the of the scripture reading I want to just look at John 4 in verse 21 through 24 it's two brief points but I have prayed through the week and through the weeks that God would speak to our hearts about this and and help us to make changes that need to be made. John 4 and 21, Jesus saith unto her, this is the woman at the well, he says, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He says to her, ye worship ye know not, what? We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24 God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, first of all, we must worship him. In spirit for 24 years I worshipped him through religion for 24 years I was in a denominational religion that told me how to do every step and how to take catechism how to take the communion and each time you did something you got a little certificate of showing that you accomplished that and yet the Word of God says that we must worship him in spirit We don't need a religion. We need that relationship that we have with God through a moment in our lives when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. I know exactly when that happened. I know where I was. I know exactly what took place. I can remember stepping forward, and at that moment, I left my sin, my works, my religion, I left everything in the pew and I took a step forward and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And since that day, almost 50 years ago, I have nurtured a relationship with God. I have not tried to figure out what my religion is teaching me. It is a personal relationship with him. And the Old Testament was one of laws and rules and traditions, if we read it at the superficial level. Here, Christ tells the woman at the well, she needs to forget all of that. She was worried, do we worship them here or do we worship them there? And if you look at verses 20 and 22 again, she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And she tells her, ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And then he brings us right up to where we are today. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. We ought to be in church. We ought to have a local New Testament church that we attend and we fellowship in and we worship in. And at the same time, Jesus teaches us, it is not where we worship, it is not how we worship, it will be who we worship. And we must worship him in spirit, and the only way to be able to do that is to be born again. I tried hard for 24 years to worship him I can remember singing some of the same hymns that we sing here and I would I would read the words and I would I would sing them like with great fervor horrible voice still but great fervor and I and I would try to put emphasis on certain words, but none of it made sense because I wasn't saved. Talking about casting my crowns down at the cross when I didn't even know what a crown was. I didn't understand all of that. And yet in a a little tiny Baptist church on a Sunday morning, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And it's like all the lights came on. I mean, it's been a 50-year study and walk and, and, and trying to get closer and closer, but that moment in time, it changed everything. In Romans 8 and 15, the Bible says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The moment I trusted Christ as my Savior, I had a father-son, father-daddy relationship. And there's, there's nothing like that. I mean, I know when I come before him, my Father, which art in heaven. It is, I am going before the almighty, powerful God. And yet in that prayer, I can say, but daddy, I got problems. And I know he hears me. We go from religion to a relationship, and we need to be sure that we have a relationship and not some relic that we're still hanging on to. I can remember when I pastored in Sicily, and uh, we had a church there for the U.S. military, and I had this great opportunity, was invited to come to a home, and share Christ with this young couple, and I knew the husband was saved, and I was quite uncertain of the wife, And but I had a great witness to them, and they were very receptive, and, and they said they'd be there Sunday, and they weren't ready. She wasn't ready to make a decision, but they definitely wanted to be there Sunday, and I was really excited about Sunday to come, and Sunday came, and they weren't there. And I know that happens, and you just you know, keep working with them, but as I was leaving, he showed up at the door, and he literally came up to me and he said, Pastor, I'm sorry. We were, I really enjoyed the church and really enjoyed the preaching. And, and I said, but I just can't bring my wife here because I had already gotten her to change from her religion when we got married to this religion. And, she, and he brought the baptism certificate with him to show me that she had gotten baptized into yet a different religion. And then they never did show up again. And friends, sometimes it's not that we hold up a baptism certificate, and sometimes it's not that we hold up a church membership certificate. But friends, we just need to know for sure that we have a born-again experience. You don't leave the church down the street that was maybe a denominational church, and you saw lots of wrong in there, and then move and and just join another church or start attending another church, and everything's different. That's just one religion to another religion. What we need is that relationship free of relics, free of everything but my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's always been interesting to me that during the life of Christ, no one ever painted his picture. No one ever drew a drawing of him. No one ever made a sculpture. There is nothing At all that represents Jesus Christ. It wasn't until 300, 400 that people started painting paintings, people that had never seen Christ, people that had nothing to go on, but they started painting paintings. And the church immediately started forming councils and condemning those paintings. But the problem is, just like you see throughout the entire Old Testament, man tends toward idols. A true worshiper must worship in spirit. And we know that, and yet we, we want to see something. We want to touch something. We want to hold. We want sometimes a, 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 just a, a remembrance, a hold in our hand, or we wear it around our neck, and we, we get ready to pray, and we grab that. And we, we need to understand. We must worship in spirit, and we need to be free of all of these things. So the church hierarchy condemned the paintings but they realized they're fighting a losing battle and so they approved them and now today there are pictures depictions of what they believe christ looked like we don't know if christ was white or black or brown and yet someone's going to draw a painting and then we have a painting of him somewhere we just have to be cautious of house relics of house gods house deities Things that have become a way of our life. I know when I pastored one of my churches, one of the first things I did was they, they had a great, big, huge picture of Jesus right up here to my right. And while I was preaching, I would notice they're not even looking at me. They're looking at this picture. So in the middle of the week, all by myself, I got me a ladder and I took the picture down. Well, if you want to cause a little stir in your new church, just take that painting down that great aunt whoever donated to the church 120 years ago. And boy, it got stirred up. But I mean, I basically said, listen, you can either have a pastor or you can have a a false painting of our Christ, but you can't have both. And it wasn't easy. And there have been things in our home that we have gotten rid of over the years. And I'm not saying it's always easy. It could have sentimental value. But yet, David understood and he commanded his men you burn all of those things. So you and I need to be very careful. Romans 8 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I don't need a statue, I don't need a painting. I don't need a certificate. My spirit bears his spirit, his spirit bears my spirit. What a difference between religion and that father-son, son-daddy relationship. It's everything. And secondly, if we're gonna worship him, we must worship him in truth. And, And friends, this is the only truth we have there is no book written there is no catechism written there is nothing other than this book and when this book is printed into another book then you have truth but even the explanation of that truth isn't truth this is truth so that's why it's so important we read the bible daily it it just it gives us that boost we need to get not only to get through the day but to better understand our god Because the better we know him, the less we need something else that we think we need to see or touch or feel. Something that has sentimental value. Something that has religious value. We we don't need those things. One of the most profound questions asked in scripture is asked by Pilate when he says, and he says it to Jesus, who is truth. And he says, what is truth? But he doesn't need the answer because he already has it. He says, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find no fault at all. So I, I just take that like three steps further. Here's Pilate condemning a man to murder, but he says, I find no fault in him. I see a man with no sin. I see a man with no sin who is God in the flesh, that is about to die on Calvary to pay for the sins of the world. That's truth. And we must worship him in truth. We can act like Pilate and say, well, what is truth? You know, we we can act like Satan and say, well, did God surely say that? But the truth is his his spirit bears witness with our spirit. We can act like we don't know, but we do know. And his spirit convicts us when we're doing things we shouldn't. And yes, we can get a hardened heart and a stiff neck and kind of push those thoughts out, but he keeps coming back, doesn't he? And he keeps reminding us and he keeps telling us things. Isaiah 48 and 1. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob. Now listen to the house of Jacob and the, and the, the description O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. And if you if you see that account in its context, Yes they, they, yes, they go to church, and yes, they sing the hymns, and yes, they are Israel, and yes, they call the name of the Lord. But at the same time, they have other idols. I, I, I've been overwhelmed for the past three or four weeks as I've been thinking about this message and doing every morning's reading. Every morning's reading condemns idols. Every morning. And now Jeremiah is doing exactly the same thing in our morning readings. And so this this is very important to God. And it's important because he, he created us and he knows how we tend to be. We tend toward needing to see it, to touch it, to feel it, to own it. And yet he teaches us we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. If you ever go through the long list and Pastor Holloway mentioned it in Sunday school this morning, the good kings and the bad kings, the good kings and the evil kings, back and forth and back and forth. Every one of them. It comes down to, well, they destroyed the groves, but not the altars. It all had to do with how did they cleanse Israel of its sin. And Josiah wiped it all out. And so we need to just be conscious of that and be honest with ourselves. In that, in that home, that our, our, our place that we get away from everything else, make sure that everything in our home points to God. When I went to boot camp many years ago, I had pictures of Linda. And you cannot imagine the amount of time I spent Staring at the pictures of Linda. But you know what I did? I married her. (laughs) And I don't keep, not that it's wrong, but I I don't keep a picture of Linda in my wallet. Because I'm always with her. And she's always with me. That picture was something I needed because I was not with her. When I am with her, it would be an insult. If I was sitting on the couch, and she's, what are you looking at? Oh, I'm looking at old pictures of you. <laughs> if you're in your living room, and you're looking at a, a depiction of Christ, do you understand it's not Christ? I mean, it's not even a depiction of Christ. It has nothing to do with the man that walked this earth to pay for your sin debt. It's just a, a diversion, it's a distraction. And, and all Satan wants to do is distract us. He doesn't want us to get saved, but once we're saved, now he wants to distract us with hobbies and entertainment, relics, house deities, whatever he can, whatever he can put between us and God, that's what he wants to do to you and I. So today, we leave, we go, we have lunch, do yourself a favor and look around your house. And then look around your heart and ask yourself, do I have some house deities that need to be burned? Are there things that have really just so taken over my life that Christ is now secondary, tertiary? He's just falling down the line because other things have become so important. He would tell you and I today, if you're gonna worship me, you're gonna to have to worship me in spirit. You must be born again. And nothing else should be involved in our worship. No icon, no relic, nothing we look at, nothing we hold on to, it is spirit. His spirit and my spirit. And it must be in truth. And the way to know truth is to to read the word of God on a daily basis. And when we see something that we're just not right on center with, close the Bible and say, Lord, today I'm on track. I've got that fixed. You want to worship God in spirit? Be sure you're born again. You want to worship him in truth? Be sure there's nothing between you and your Savior.